Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there, Pucks and Cups and From John to Justin, which release on Tuesdays and Fridays. I do all these podcasts full-time, the writing, the research, everything. So every dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I truly do appreciate it. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canadian history. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Bairdo37. You can also see weekly history videos on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash Canadian History X. And remember, that's E-H-X. The history of Chase begins long before Chase was ever a community. We have to go back to before Europeans were ever in Canada and look at the Sequepmec people who lived in the area for thousands of years in a territory that covered about 180,000 square kilometers of the interior of British Columbia. For centuries, there were about 35 indigenous communities, but today there are 17 that are recognized within their former territory. If you visit the Chase Creek rest area near Chase, you can find an interpretive sign that describes the remains of an indigenous, semi-subterranean log-roofed pit house that were used in winters called Kakuli, which means beneath or under. The little Shushwap Lake gets its name from the indigenous as well. The European version of the word Sequimek is Shushwap, which was applied to many natural features in the landscape, including the lake near the community. The original meaning of the name, though, is sadly lost. The salmon runs that come through the area were also something that the indigenous would journey to the area of Chase for, long before Europeans arrived. That run continues to this day, and if you want to see a true natural wonder, then come out to Chase in October to see the world-renowned sockeye salmon run on the Adams River in nearby Chuchuek Provincial Park. Within this park, you can also see the remnants of thousands of years of indigenous habitation, including those pit houses and pictographs on the exposed rock on the river's gorge. There are also remnants of the long-ago European extraction efforts, including flume trails that were used to move logs from nearby areas into the Adams River for transport. The park was once named for Roderick Haig Brown, but was renamed to honor the local indigenous, whose name for the area means many rivers. To begin to tell the story of Chase, we need to learn about an interesting individual named Whitfield Chase. Chase, who was from New York State, came to Canada to try and find his fortune during the 1858 gold rush, but it would still be almost a decade before he settled in the area of future Chase. He would arrive in 1865, and some sources say 1862, after spending time in other areas of British Columbia, including Kamloops and Victoria, where he sold his property for $1,000. Prior to coming to the area, he would marry Per Soons Tulvinek, the daughter of an indigenous chief, and together they would raise four sons and six daughters. George Chase would state, quote, He was a grand old man, was my uncle, Whitfield Chase, and not many people would put it over him, end quote. Chase would begin to buy homesteads in the area from people who would become discouraged, and he greatly expanded his land to over 2,000 acres. He would then begin growing a large cattle herd, which would eventually reach 800 head of cattle, one of the largest in the entire interior of British Columbia. 
The Vancouver province would write of Whitfield in 1929, stating, quote, He is held in affectionate esteem and remembrance by all the old-timers of the district, end quote. Chase and his family would live in the area for quite some time, but the community that would bear his name did not exist until well after his death. In 1895, before Chase existed, but as many settlers began to arrive, the Chase Cemetery would be laid out. At the cemetery, the oldest grave is that of Whitfield Chase, and the cemetery is still in use today, and many of its graves are the earliest pioneers of Chase, and they can be found there. Before Chase came along, the main town centre was also called Shushwap, located 5 kilometres to the west of current Chase. Now the name of Chase, of course, comes from Whitfield, but the beginning of the community is thanks to a logging company that arrived in the area in 1907 and purchased the area that would be the original town site from Marcus, the son of Whitfield. The land was soon divided into lots, water and electricity was installed, and lots were laid out that would later be sold to business owners and workers for the new mill that was currently being built. Another 70 acres of land was leased from the Chase family for the location of the mill. On July 2, 1907, the Adams River Lumber Company was formed with J.P. McGoldrick serving as the president of the company and $500,000 in capital, or about $13 million today. The construction of this massive mill was a huge undertaking for the time, costing about $300,000, and it would have the capacity of producing 100,000 board feet of lumber every 10 hours. At its height, the mill had 200 men working in the woods in the summer, and between 400 and 500 in the winter. One year later, in 1908, the mill began operation, and on May 5, 1908, the first lot in the town was sold to George Price. The new mill was not a small one, but the largest in the interior of British Columbia and the third largest in the entire province. By 1910, the factory was cutting a large amount of board feet of lumber, averaging 175,000 board feet in a 10-hour shift. The mill was vitally important to the early history of Chase, employing about an average of 300 men through the year. This would have an added benefit for Chase, which saw its population reach 50 people in 1909, with many businesses serving the needs of the community but the mill remained the biggest employer, and the population of Chase just continued to rise. In 1912, the Adams River Lumber Company would buy up 25,000 acres of what was described as excellent land. The mill would also help the community in other ways. Thanks to its electrical lighting system, it provided enough power to light over 2,000 lights, which included its own buildings and yards, but also Chase itself. The company had also built a powerful steamer called the A.R. Helen, costing $22,000, which would make regular trips along the Adams Lake and would deliver 3 million feet of lumber in tow in 72 hours. The mill would continue to operate until 1925 when it was finally closed. But after the large mill closed, a number of smaller sawmills would operate for the next 80 years until 2005. Around 1912, Chase decided to go to war, but it wasn't a traditional war. This was against insects. The Chase Central Board of Trade decided to give the job of eradicating mosquitoes in the community to Charles McLaughlin, the police chief. A special anti-mosquito meeting was held and it was decided to spray the lowlands and swamps with crude oil and every stagnant pool in the community and around would also be sprayed with crude oil. Every police officer in the community was given sprayers to complete the job. Of course, mosquitoes proved more hardy and it was a war that Chase was doomed to lose. Chase also had a zoo, but it was not a big zoo. In fact, it only had about two animals. 
The Chase Zoological Gardens, located at Sakamoose Avenue, featured a tame bear and a performing cat, which were owned by Sidney Gillette with trainer Dennis Sanders. A professor, Jack Anderson, was also in charge of the feeding. In 1919, workers at the sawmill would go on strike briefly, and at the time, the strikers were looking to get an 8-hour workday instead of the 10-hour workday they had to work at the time, but the company would eventually offer them a 9-hour workday. In 1939, Chase had grown to become a community of 350 people, which included an excellent water system, a modern hotel, and several stores that were popular throughout the area. Tourist camps and bathing beaches were popular with people coming to the Chase area, and the hunting and fishing opportunities were considered some of the best in the province. The Chase Tribune would write, quote, Many fishermen return year after year, for they are always sure of good sport, as are the hunters for willow and blue grouse provide good shooting in the season, and later on ducks and geese, end quote. All of those opportunities still exist to this day and make a great reason to check out the community, especially if you love fishing. During the Second World War, many people from the community would serve in the armed forces, and some, sadly, would not return home. One such person was a descendant of the man who the town was named for, Whitfield Chase. It was on April 10, 1941, when Sergeant Howard Whitfield Chase, who was 24 at the time, was killed while in a Royal Canadian Air Force training plane near Cardinal, Ontario. He would be buried at the Chase Cemetery with a mounted guard of honour at the ceremony, and Sergeant Chase was buried near his great-uncle, Whitfield Chase. For decades in Canada, and especially British Columbia, there was extreme racism against Chinese Canadians, to the point they were barred from even voting until after the Second World War. Chase, though, bucked that trend, and chose to show itself as a progressive community for how it treated its Chinese-Canadian residents. Over 100 residents came out in Chase on February 28, 1947, to honour Yip Num, a Chinese resident who owned a restaurant in the community, and praised him for his community spirit over the previous 34 years. Since he was leaving to return to China, he was presented with gifts raised through money donated throughout the community, including $100 or $1,300 today. He then gave the money back to the community to help them build a new memorial hall. And while 100 people may not seem like a lot, that actually amounts to one-sixth of the community's population at the time. On April 21, 1969, the community would reach a large enough size to be incorporated and today it has 2,286 people living within it. If you would like to learn more about Chase and the history of the area, the best place to visit is the Chase and District Museum, which has been focused on preserving and presenting the history of the area since 1984. The museum has hundreds of artifacts which were all painstakingly cleaned and restored after a fire in 2011. Located in the early Catholic church built in the community on the outset of the 20th century, the museum grounds include a homestead cabin, a garage that contains a 1923 Franklin Touring sedan, a historical grader, and a fire hose reel cart, which was the first fire equipment bought by the fire department many years ago. In 2018, a large stone cairn was unveiled, topped with a bell from the Canadian Pacific Railway engine that used to go through the community. This cairn has the theme of Together We Are Stronger, which displays the plaques of the first three nations in the area, the province of British Columbia, the Chase Museum, and the village of Chase. Lastly, if you're ever in the area of Chase, keep an eye on the lake. Shushwap Lake, which drains into Little Shushwap Lake, is said to have a lake monster called Shigamu, which is said to be 25 feet long and lives in the lake. And you never know, you might just see this legendary creature on your next trip to Chase. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Chase, British Columbia. If you did, 
please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.